morning and welcome to a special Saturday edition of the Daily Ding. Happy Saturday morning. We have all of your playoff action from Friday night and there was a lot of action in one game. We're going to get into this in detail. I am Jared Weiss. I'm joined by Mo DeKeel and Dave Dufour. We've got Jade Hoy breaking a zone behind the scenes. And don't miss the exclusive in-depth coverage of this unprecedented sports season. Subscribe now and save by just going to theathletic.com slash daily ding and you can receive an all-access subscription for just $1 a month. You know, sports are back and you don't want to miss the breaking stories that we have on your favorite teams. So you just go to theathletic.com slash daily ding and you'll receive an all-access subscription for just $1 a month. So coming up on today's show, the Lakers eviscerate, the Celtics commiserate, and Giannis is your winning MVP candidate. But before all that, the Lakers are still shooting free throws as we speak, fellas. Dave, I'll start with you. Have you seen that many free throws in a first half in your life? Uh, no, I haven't. <laughs> uh, definitely not in the playoffs. Um, listen, we're probably about to get into the refereeing. Mo is on here, and I'm sure that he wants to go off on another rant. But to give them a little bit of slack, the Nuggets were extremely physical in the first half. So I'm not surprised that they fouled a little bit more than usual. I, I don't have a rant, Dave. Don't try to put me on this. I, this is one of the rare times, and I'm about as scared as everybody else. I agree with you. Like, you know, some of this was just the Nuggets were fouling the hell out of these guys. There were some bad calls. I felt like some of the block and ones for LeBron's easily could have been charges. But overall, I don't think it was just that. It wasn't like so crazy. It was just the Nuggets were fouling the hell out of them. And I mean, that's not shocking considering this is LeBron at AD. And we were debating before the series, how is Jokic going to handle a matchup against Anthony Davis, especially when Anthony Davis is in there as a center? And we saw Anthony Davis get to the line whenever he wanted to in that first half, Dave. Well, Jokic can't guard him. I mean, that that's the thing. And we talked about this on Nerder. I, I thought that the Lakers would actually be playing into the Nuggets' hands if they played a center and it was mostly because it would give someone, you know, for Jokic to guard uh, that didn't work out this way. And Millsap also can't guard Anthony Davis. So it's not really going to be that long of a series if they can't figure that out. I, maybe, I don't know, Jerry and Grant, although he's your best LeBron option. So I don't know. It's kind of a tough ask for a team that just doesn't have a guy on the roster that can take the job. I mean, there's a couple of problems with that one. I just think, you know, the Lakers going big allowed them to be more physical mm-hmm. and their physicality is very different than the Clippers physicality in terms of the front court, in terms of Zubach and uh, even Montrez Harrell versus the guys that they had, that the Lakers are bringing. I mean, we saw Dwight Howard come in and this is the best Dwight Howard has looked in months, you know, and he was rolling and he was just a problem for them on both ends of the court. And it's just a, the physical nature of it, Jared, just kind of lend it to these kind of foul issues and just problems overall. And, you know, this is a series where we're going to really see how much the Nuggets are going to miss Will Barton because that would have at least allowed them to put him on LeBron at times and allow Grant to drop down to AD. But now they're just in a real tough situation. I mean, man, it it just got too difficult for these guys. And Jokic is going to get spotlighted at times because they're just going to attack him. And even when they go big, 
you know, it's they can hide him on a on Howard, on JaVale McGee, but those guys are going to crash the boards and things like that. And I think that's where the issues are going to come for the Nuggets. The Lakers were really good on the offensive glass tonight too, right? Like, so you can say, all right, we can't defend these guys, but you can't do that and also give up the offensive rebounds. Second chance points, I'm sure Mike Malone is going to bring up, but, you know, that has to be a priority for him. If, if you're not going to guard, you're going to have to rebound. So there was a moment that was really interesting, which was that Jokic was standing next to Anthony Davis. He had his back to the basket. He's facing the offense like a center supposed to do. And then AD just like swung right around him and caught an alley-oop and it was effortless. And I wondered in that moment, should Jokic be denying Anthony Davis everywhere on the court, even exposing himself to having his back to the lane and not kind of being the center just so that he can just keep the ball away from Anthony Davis. I mean, it's weird to say about a seven footer, right? Like to front a guy smaller than you, but I, I mean, if it was someone who wasn't as skilled as Anthony Davis, I'd say, Oh, that's worth trying. Anthony Davis though. I feel like he can just spin off that and, and probably get a lob out of it. You know, um, he's just so good. Like Anthony Davis is just really, really good at the stuff that Jokic cannot guard. Yeah, here, Jared, I'm just going to say it plainly. No, like that. That's not the plan they should go with in that scenario of just trying to constantly deny him and things like that. That's how he was able to get that spin out lob off of him, you know, because he's pushing up on the lane trying to deny him. And when you're fronting, it opens up opportunities on the backside and your rotation has to be really sharp in that scenario. And AD's not a great passer, but he's a good enough passer that when that rotation comes, he's going to find the other guys. And we got to give credit here for the Lakers. You know, they shot the three ball pretty well, and they've been shooting it pretty well in the Houston series. So, you know, when you're doing that stuff, you're opening up rotations and things like that, and it becomes much more of a scramble scenario. And then not being able to constantly see where the ball is or what's going on, you know, while you're guarding your man just opens up more problems for the team defensively. And I think that's just not a scenario in which I'd want to see them. I wouldn't want to try if I was a Nuggets. Well, and also the Lakers are playing closer to the pace that they want to play versus the Nuggets. The Nuggets do not want to get sped up against the Lakers and the Lakers were at, uh, a little over 98 possession pace. So I, I think that there's, it's a double-edged sword, right? Like only both sides are really sharp. You can't really guard AD in the half court with Jokic at all. And he's going to be trying to kill you the entire game in transition and semi-transition. So I think that avoiding that matchup at all costs has to be the move. Maybe you have to guard Rondo with Jokic or something. I don't know, but you cannot have Jokic on AD right now. It just doesn't work. And, you know, I think there's here's a scary thing for the Nuggets. AD had a monster game and LeBron had a light night. Exactly. Exactly. And that's where that's where it's concerning. Well, you know, that's the problem. I wonder and I hope someone asked Frank Vogel this, but I wonder if getting AD going in game one was just the purpose. Right. Like we're going to we're going to get AD going. Of course, you want to win the game, but we're going to do it while getting AD going because we know LeBron has that gear. Right. Like that conference finals, that finals gear. We know he has it. I have no doubt that if things get tight, he'll turn it on. Uh, but Anthony Davis, you know, this is his first trip. Maybe that this was like a little bit of a, a psychological game plan as well. Yeah, I think it's something that they do. You know, having watched the Lakers all year, I think they always kind of try to get him going because they know what it adds. Because, again, it's like you said, Dave, LeBron can get going when he needs to. You know, if the team's mm-hmm. in a situation where we're in trouble, it's it's similar to Miami and Jimmy going like, OK, I'll take over now. Like he'll he'll step up when he has to. But 
if they can get AD going, and again, it put the Nuggets front court in foul trouble. I mean, Jokic had to sit basically almost the whole second quarter because of it. It, it really is just the pressure is too much. And, and this kind of alleviates some of that off of LeBron and, and things open up. And, you know, the other thing too was, you know, this was another great Rondo game. Mm-hmm. Oh, good. I get to talk now. Uh, you know, what's <laughs> okay, actually, Bill. this has been fun. This has been okay, fun with you guys. But, you know, the thing is, yeah. So, so the, <laughs> well, the thing was, I wanted to build off that last point because I, I didn't feel like they were forcing it through AD. I think it was just the organic matchup to go for. But whenever they weren't playing through AD, there was always this option for them to basically have the ball at the top of the arc or on the elbow and then get some lob action going to whoever's in the dunker spot. LeBron was great in that in the first half. Rondo would come in and he would be able to continue that. There was a great dichotomy or balance, I guess, between having LeBron and then having Rondo in where you just you always had that passer on the floor that could get the lob or the quick transition pass out ahead that there was always just pressure behind the back line for the Nuggets defense. And the Nuggets interior defense was just horrendous in this game. Yeah, and I I liked how they put pressure on that back line with having Dwight hanging out in the dunker spot. I mean, it was always a threat and they got a few lobs out of it, like you mentioned. Um, Well, uh, playoff Rondo is, is really a funny thing because he controlled those minutes he was out on the court. I mean, you would never guess that that Rondo wasn't still like a very good NBA player all the time if you just watched him in the playoffs. And part of that is, you know, that slower pace, that slower style, more half-court stuff, it, it just suits him. He's an adult playmaker on the court, and the Lakers only really have two, and he's one of them. So he's been huge for them. I, I think if they win the championship, it's going to be because Rondo was able to fill those non-LeBron minutes with a competent guy who can make an entry pass even. Yeah, I mean, you know, look, Rondo's averaging 7.3 assists in the playoffs for the Lakers. That's massive. I mean, that that goes such a long way for a team that's been starved for another playmaker. And it, again, it opens up opportunities. They can run different things with Rondo on the court and LeBron because then LeBron doesn't have to be the guy that's making every pass. They can trust Rondo to find those opportunities for everybody else. And even if the defense overreacts to LeBron, he's going to be able to find the other guy, whether it's Kuzma on the weak side or AD or whoever, he's going to be able to make those plays and you trust him to be able to make those passes. And on the flip side too, I want to talk a little bit defensively here. I thought the Lakers did a great job of taking away cuts and, and and opportunities there. The fact that Jokic just finished with two assists in this game, some of it due to just his minutes. But overall, I felt like their attitude was just like, yo, Jokic is going to have to score. We're not going to let him create for everybody else. And so that begs the question, can the Nuggets keep this lineup out there? next game considering how badly the double bigs killed uh, killed them or do they have to maybe switch in Mason Plumley for I guess one of the non-Jokic players assuming they want to keep starting Jokic just so that they at least have that presence on that back line that the Lakers can't just get to the rim and everything do you want. want the Lakers to get into the bonus in four minutes all right. I mean, I mean they already shot 32 yeah. free throws in the first half. You trying to get the 40, Jared? Mason Plumlee, I mean, he's a, he's a human foul machine. And, you know, the, the minutes that he gets, like you're – I always feel like you're flirting with disaster. And he was okay in this game, right? But sometimes it can go left really, really fast. And so, no, I mean, look, Millsap is a big. 
Millsap is your best option at guarding Anthony Davis, unless you want to really throw a curveball and try guarding him with bowl or something, you know, um, that'd be a mistake, by the way, that's a joke. Uh, the, the only other option off the bench to me is to, you know, move Millsap to the bench, have him come in, be your, your big with the second units, uh, or maybe you still have to go with him and Plumley and move Tory Craig in the starting lineup to add another wing defender. Maybe you slide Jerry and Grant over to the four to guard AD and hope that Tory Craig can just hold up as well as he possibly can against LeBron. You're going to have to scheme that. Uh, it won't be a straight up defense. I mean, you just don't guard often in the NBA that way, but especially not against LeBron. And I think that that would probably give them the best option rather than, you know, putting Mason Plumley out there. My God, I'll throw, I'll throw, I'll throw one wrinkle out there because everything you're talking about, Dave, is let's try to defend the Lakers. Screw it, just try just to score. outscore him. Throw in Michael just Porter score. Jr. Let's exactly. Go. Start Porter. Sit, sit Millsap. Start Porter and just go. Hey, we're going to spread the floor. We're going to open it up, and we're just going to make this a damn shootout. Because I think that's their best bet. Because I don't think they have a single lineup in which I feel comfortable saying that lineup's going to be able to defend the Lakers' top lineup. I just don't. And it's and it's not uh, a, a shot at the Nuggets. I just don't think they have the guys. Right, it's personnel. It. And it's, they they yeah. It's, they were a good defensive matchup against the Clippers. They are a bad defensive matchup against the Lakers. I mean, this is it's basketball. Right. And I think, you know, just at this point, just say, hey, screw it. Let's just make this a shootout. That's got to be their game plan. If they're going to try to go at this of like, hey, we got to try to figure out how to defend these guys. Like, yes, you're going to want to come up with stops, but also put the pressure on the Lakers to have to defend you. If you spread the floor, it makes it harder for them to stay big. You know, and that's that's the scenario when you start Millsap and Jokic. Again, they can they will be fine starting AD and JaVale McGee or if they want to switch it and put Dwight Howard instead. You know, but if you put Michael Porter Jr. out there and he's spacing, now they're in a little bit of a different conundrum and now they gotta start figuring things out. And I think that's ultimately what the Nuggets should try to do. They can't try to defend with this team. And I mean Michael Porter Jr., fourteen points, ten rebounds, four assists, seven for eight from the line in this game. I mean, he makes a huge impact flying in there for rebounds. And he at least gives them this aerial presence that they can try to compete with the way that the Lakers just live above the rim. And I like that. I mean, this was fun. I can't remember the last time I saw a team score over 120 points. It feels like it's been forever. Why not just have 130 to 130 games every single night? That's what the NBA wants with the rule changes. Might as well just lean into it. Well, but they're trying to get there with the free throws. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) that doesn't help the people that actually watch the games. Yeah. I, I like defense. I like defense. I had a lot of fun watching Tory Craig go two for two from the line, but that's, I mean, I have a unique taste, I guess. Yeah, um, you were the only one. I get it. <laughs> you were the only one. <laughs> I got to say, we should make this a nightly segment where I throw out defensive adjustments and you guys just shoot them down, down aggressively. It's definitely the way to do the show. Oh, I agree. We do. We did gang up on we you did. a little bit. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll be nicer to you, Jared. Yeah. Don't worry. Oh, it's fine. I'm Maybe. here to be the straw man while you guys break things down. Um, so I guess the only other questions left, who is the better better M. Morris? And then is there something that the Lakers didn't do well in this game that they should be adjusting for game two? I thought they let up a little bit in the end of the second quarter. Mm-hmm. And I felt like some of it was they let their guard down. Both Murray and Jokic were on the bench. And the uh, in this game, I think he was the better Morris. I thought Monty Morris got going a little bit. Got a couple easy buckets, found 
Gary Harris for a corner three. It kind of looked like, oh, maybe they might make a little bit of a run at this, you know, to end the end the half. And I think that's probably the the one thing the Lakers can point out of like, hey, we can do we can do better. We can't just let up at any point. We've seen this team. What? If you let up enough, they'll come in at you. But what what I'll push back on you with is you have to love how they came out after halftime. You know, so yeah. two sides of, you know, the same coin to a certain degree. Like, it's great to know that they can refocus after losing that focus, but you don't want to see a team that has, you know, real championship goals to lose focus at all. Like, you want to see them keep the foot on the gas. So, uh, with you to a certain degree, but I do like how they responded. And in particular, I like that Vogel did not start JaVale in the second half, right? I, I don't think JaVale is going to see another competitive minute in this series. I, I think that as long as the Nuggets are in the game, the only bigs you're going to see are Anthony Davis and Dwight Howard. And that's how it ought to be. Dwight was fantastic in game one. So I, I think that he'll probably wind up with the start in game two. Because Vogel doesn't strike me as a uh, stubborn coach. I, I mean, he clearly made – he saw that. It was obvious to everyone, and he made that quick decision. So I think that was good. But overall, man, I, I'm not going to say the Lakers played a perfect game because they clearly didn't. They had the issues at the end of the second quarter. They played a really damn good game, though. And I think that – there's not a whole lot that you could maybe you could nitpick on some stuff, but overall, I thought they were really good. I mean, 33 assists on 44 field goals. Yeah, exactly. Is 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 great. And they got know? to the line and 37 I, times. I mean, that is that is incredible. So, um, you know, you got to be got to be happy with it. They they gave good effort. You know, there was very few defensive lapses. I mean, it was it was a good basketball game by the Lakers. I mean, they're a really good team. We shouldn't be surprised. So I do have a. Nip- and the Nuggets don't pl- the Nuggets don't play until they're down three one. Well, that's true. <laughs> well, that leads to my my I guess my last question on this game. Uh, Jokic and Murray did not come back in. The Nuggets they lost this game by twelve points. Obviously, it was a huge blowout. But should they have came come back in with about seven minutes or so left when they were down by twenty and try to make a furious comeback? No, I'm not going to second guess Mike Malone. Uh, he's proven over the last couple of rounds of the playoffs that he's got his finger on the pulse of this team and I, I you know save that energy for game two I, I I think it was probably the right call those guys would probably disagree at least privately you know because they're competitors but you know part of his job is to think about game two you know and, and I think and, that was the right call and I think this was a bigger game than a 12 point thing I think this is the the Lakers bench unit in the last six minutes and when I mean the bench unit, I mean like the Jared Dudley's the J.R. Smith kind of coming in, you, you know, that's how it ends up being a, a closer score. So I don't see this being a scenario where I'm like, he should have put them in. I'm with Dave. Save him up. I mean, we did see bull bull time at the end and Troy Daniels had eight points in those final five minutes there. So maybe they just needed to give Troy Daniels a little bit more time. But uh, let's move over to the Celtics and the Heat series. Uh, so the Celtics are panicking. And they are screaming at each other and they're making up. And the as things apparently stand, they had this huge blow up in the locker room afterwards. They had a meeting later that night to smooth things over. They met again more on Friday. They seem to be on the same page. And as I reported on Wednesday or Thursday, I don't even remember what day it is anymore. Uh, Gordon Hayward is progressing towards returning for game three. He then got upgraded the next day to questionable for game three. It certainly looks like he's going to be playing. So Dave, we'll start with you. Do the Celtics have a chance to swing momentum here? I mean, I think getting into a fight in the locker room and it wasn't even a fight, but a yelling match 
Like that's a good sign. I mean, they clearly have guys that that are taking pride in in their defense and and really trying to do their best. So that's a good thing. I, I think connected teams they have arguments from time to time. We, this is not the first time we've seen it. Uh, it's not the first time in the bubble. You know, <laughs> these guys have been together in that bubble since July, and they're around each other constantly. And they had two you know, tough losses. They, they were really close games. I think that that's my big takeaway. They were close games and they lost and that happens, but close games still, it's not like Miami is dominating them. They're not the Milwaukee bucks. You know, they're, they're a much better team uh, for this Miami matchup. And so uh, I think that if I'm taking something away, they seem to be pretty fired up. They've they've been close games. This is the sort of thing where we might see them come out in game three and, and really make a statement. And I mean, like, win by double digits. Yeah, this is – look, the everybody wants to bury the Celtics at this point being down 0-2. But the difference in between both games is five total points. You know, like, that's still a pretty tight game. You know, a Jalen Brown three in the corner – and we're talking a different scenario. I mean, I honestly think if the Celtics win game two, you know, Gordon Hayward doesn't play game three. There's a gap between game three and game four. I think it's two day gap. So, you know, you, you've been able to buy him more rest. Now in this scenario, you're down Oh two. You're like, okay, we need to get our guys out there. So they're going to play him in game three. Overall, I'm not worried about the stuff in the locker room. This seems like a team that's super connected. And I can't imagine this is the first time they've had some sort of screaming match after a game. So all of this is just almost par for the course for the Boston Celtics and playing with a guy like Marcus Smart, who's super emotional. I am very worried about them in terms of the zone defense, excuse me, their zone offense. I think they're struggling here when Miami was able to put the bigger wings out there on top. When you have Jimmy Butler and Derek Jones Jr. out there with their long arms, it causes a lot of problems. It's very different than Fred Van Vliet and Kyle Lowry at the top of his own. And I think that's something that the Celtics are going to have to figure out. But overall, I still think this is going to be a very tight series. And the interesting thing with Gordon is I can tell you I was uh, I had that report, I think, the day before. So that was something it wasn't like they lost that game and they decided, oh, we got to suddenly rush him. It was just a matter of the the timing lining up that he just needed an extra practice to confirm that he was, I guess, ready to at least be upgraded to questionable. So. Gordon Hayward is not just suddenly rushing back and he's not going to be ready just because they lost that game and they need him to save the season. Like he's, he's progressing on his timeline and he's apparently close to ready to go and probably will be ready to go, which Bo makes me wonder, should they be changing their approach too much or will their approach to trying to get through that zone just work better once they have Hayward out there? Well, it depends because one thing that does worry me about Hayward, it's not like he's a quick recovery guy. Like we've seen him take a couple of games to get back in the flow of things, you know, when he's come back from injuries. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see how he comes back from that. But he's an important piece, especially against the zone, Jared. I think he's going to kind of open things up. I think having him flash to the middle and, you know, he's an underrated playmaker. You know, I think he's going to be able to be the bridge from one side of the court to the other side of the court when he flashes in the middle of the zone and and kind of make some things happen. Like I'm excited to see what he's going to be able to bring to the table if he's fully right and comfortable. So, you know, I think you do got to kind of shake it up. Look, what they did against the zone yesterday was not good. So whatever you you need to shake it up one way or another, whether it's having somebody else in certain different spots or 
you know, or running completely new stuff, but they need to shake something up because they got to figure out this zone. Otherwise they're going to go down Oh three and we're going to, then we can start burying the Celtics. And there was a certain very handsome Celtics writer who wrote a whole story about that exact problem. Jay King. That's the one. And uh, no, description. <laughs> uh, no, I happen to write a, uh, a way too long story breaking down the film on that, which you definitely should go read. Uh, but Dave, I guess the biggest question is, how do they – what is their size balance now that they have Gordon Hayward out there? Do they go to Daniel Tice? Do they go to Grant Williams? Do they go micro ball and have Smart and Hayward out there when they're trying to close this game out? There's a lot more options for them to go to now. I mean, I, I think, you know, Grant's the interesting one because of his ability to switch. And, you know, to, he can guard Bam in space and, and it's just – might be a better matchup, to be honest with you, uh, than than Tice right now, especially given the whistle. Um, I, I'm not sure about that, honestly. I hadn't I hadn't really thought about about that adjustment. I've just been thinking about Hayward. The playmaking addition is really going to be uh, the the big thing I look for from Hayward. Getting him into the nail against that zone, like we saw Kemba get the dribble penetration there. Well, Hayward's pretty good at flashing up. I mean, we we saw that against Miami in the regular season, you know, when they ran the zone. And I think that just having that added playmaking with his size uh, is going to is going to work wonders. They might wind up closing. I guess it depends on how Hayward looks. But if they're if they're dead set on having Kemba out there, maybe Hayward's out there. I, I don't know who he's going to guard exactly. I mean, Olenek or, or Jay Crowder, I, I'd suppose. But um, it would at least give them a team full of playmakers in theory, closing games. So they're going to close. Small. We were talking so much about how the Celtics are going to add on more talent. It seems like they're frankly only in the series because of the talent they have on board, because Miami has been dramatically outplaying them and out scheming them. So Mo, we've seen, especially in crunch time, it's just Jimmy Butler making these incredible defensive plays to get them second opportunities, huge plays at the rim. They're winning the rebound battle. Goran Dragic is hitting contested shots at, at like an absolute superstar. Does Miami, if if the Celtics are able to execute better because they have more talent on the floor now with Hayward back, and they also just, I guess, have yelled at each other enough that maybe they'll execute on offense for a change, does Miami need to make some sort of change or do they just continue to double down on what's been working so well. I don't think they have to change too much right now. I think, you know, it, look, it's still been close games. There's always small adjustments you can make here and there. I think, you know, how they've been using Duncan Robinson a little bit and where they're placing him has really made things interesting in terms of, you know, it opening up the pick and roll, especially because they're hugging up on him. There's nobody to help on the weak side. So now that's where Bam Adebayo is able to eat at the rim and things like that. I don't know if they really need to make a change too much. I'm not, I'm not worried about them in that respect. You know, they're the games have played out the way Miami wants them to play out, you know, and it's one of those scenarios where Jimmy gets to kind of chill for three quarters and then he'll go off in the fourth quarter and step up in a big way and make big plays. And I think for, Miami, it's like, look, you're up 2-0. Just keep doing what you're doing, man. You know, it's it's they're playing tough defense. They're crashing the glass. They're winning every loose ball. I can't – I mean, of the 50-50 balls, it has to have been like 80-20 in the Miami Heat's favor right now in these two games. It's I mean, just, that's, that's just he, Jimmy Butler. 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, the two steals he had, you know, the the one f- saving the ball flying out of bounds and then getting the dunk, and then the one off the uh, baseline inbounds. I mean, those are big monster plays that big stars make, and I think, you know, that's just Jimmy being Jimmy, and I think they got to Celtics got to figure out how to bring that fight because on some of those plays, you look back and not everybody's running back on defense, not everybody's hustling as hard, and that's a big problem. Well, you can't run back on defense when you're busy complaining about a call that you definitely should have gotten, right? And we've seen how the referees constantly, many times, stop the play and change it yeah, mid-action, right? Like, we've seen that. over oh, that. No. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so, Dave, last question. Uh, is Bam Adebayo the best defensive center in the NBA or the greatest defensive center of all time? <laughs> uh, I mean, pump the brakes. He's he's really good, <laughs> but let's pump the brakes. I mean, yeah, um, there there have been a lot of really good defensive centers. You know, Tim Duncan didn't retire all that time, uh, all that long ago. So uh, let's pump the brakes on that. Yeah. Uh, but man, he's good. Yeah. I, I'll tell you, I've never seen a play like that, and in particular, given given the circumstances, um, he was a little late on his jump, but still got there at the perfect time. And and maybe it was just that he timed it in. Uh, you know, so perfectly that it just felt late, but pretty special block that he pulled off there. I mean, with Jason Tatum, like, I mean, he cocked the ball back. It wasn't like he was just coming in, you know, for some kind of easy dunk. And uh, yeah, I, he's pretty good. With, he, he offers with his them left so hand. much flexibility. Yeah. With his left hand, by the way. His I wonder offhand. if he played volleyball. Some of the best shot blockers I, I've known were good volleyball players, you know, and they learn to use both hands when they go up for blocks. Bam does that quite a bit. I, somebody should ask him. I mean, Bam Adebayo, amazing name for a volleyball player. Well, oh yeah, absolutely. The Heat and the Celtics game three on Saturday at eight thirty p.m. and then game four is not all the way until Wednesday, so they're going to have a lot of time to think about whatever happens in that one. Gordon Hayward will most likely be back. He just got upgraded to questionable. So we are hopefully going to be seeing him and hopefully seeing another epic game. All right. For news. I mean, do we just say Giannis on MVP and that's it? And then we go home. Yeah. I mean, you know, because you got a nice going. Oh yeah. That's a no brainer. You got a nice quote from LeBron saying it pissed me off to only get 16 first place votes. Did he really? So he do that. Yeah. Just, right, you know what? Do it as the close <laughs> and just say, uh, and, you know, as we all knew uh, was going to happen, Giannis wins the MVP. We've all debated that quite a bit already, but uh, congratulations to him. And then, you know, close the show. Sure. All right. Here we go. And for news, Giannis won MVP, and we knew that was going to happen, and we've already debated it for way too long, so that is going to do it for today's show. Don't forget about the other basketball shows across the Athletic Podcast Network. We still have your favorite shows like the Athletic NBA Show, No Dunks, Tampering, and House of Strauss, plus over a dozen team-specific shows available from some of your favorite athletic beat writers. And don't forget to follow on the app to get notifications for new episodes and utilize special podcast episode 
comment sections. That's where you get to tell Dave his beard looks great. Get to praise Mo on his fantastic X and O analysis. Get to talk about how Jared's stories are the, by far the best on The Athletic. Whatever you want to say down there, go to the podcast episode comment section in the app. And if you're not a member of The Athletic, you are in luck because you can get all of our podcasts without any ads. They are completely free of ads, plus some fantastic writing across all major sports all for a super low price get a subscription today at theathletic.com slash daily ding you never know when these promos end so get there soon i want to thank you all for waking up with us and i want both of my co-hosts to say it at the same time ding 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 <laughs> jail fix it in post <laughs> no just leave gun everything